Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that wonderful, wonderful worship set. We thank the Lord this morning, for sure, for the wonderful opportunity He gives us to come into His presence, not just on days like this, but every single day. Amen, somebody. I think that's one of the, the most amazing parts, the amazing aspects of um, our Christianity, at least, at least for me. I'm not a singer, but I love to come into God's presence with worship. I love when people like Janine and, and others um, get to share that, that particular talent, um, Max and Maggie, of course, and just to simply sing to the Lord and what it does for me in terms of bringing me, ushering me in the presence of the Lord our God. Amen, somebody. I hope you feel like I feel this morning, uh, in spite of any physical ailments or this quarantine and, and all those other things that we're dealing with in our lives today. I hope that you are encouraged this morning, knowing that we serve an amazing God. We serve a mighty God. And again, I'm going to belabor this point for just a little bit because it's, it's extremely important what, what we get to enjoy as Christians, uh, this opportunity that we have to come literally, literally in the presence of the Almighty God uh, by faith. It just, it just happens that way. And it's a wonderful experience, so what, what, the way that it unfolds on the, on the inside. Amen, somebody. I hope you feel the way that I do this morning, especially if you're a mom. Um, happy Mother's Day. Uh, this is a wonderful day that, that God has certainly blessed you with. We want to thank you so much. We thank all the mothers who are part of this fellowship. Um, thank you so much for, you know, who you are. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, it would actually be really nice if we could just simply take the time and go through all the names. Wouldn't it be so cool? Uh, but uh, it's probably not not at all realistic. But if you're a mother out there and you're a part of this fellowship, uh, thank you so much. We love you. We certainly love you. We extend our gratitude towards you. We 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 are certainly praying for you this morning. I'm I'm certainly. Um, you know me, I spend a lot of time in prayer. I love it. Uh, I like to say that as well uh, because it's important to me. Uh, prayer is extremely important to me. And so I spend a lot of time praying for you, uh, especially um, those of you who are mothers this morning. Again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, special shout out to the, the wonderful women in my life, um, beginning with my, my baby girl at home, my wife Brenda. Happy Mother's Day. Um, also, of course, to my mother back east, Mom, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. She celebrated her, I think it was 72nd or 73rd birthday on the 7th as well. So, uh, again, happy birthday and happy Mother's Day. Of course, to my mother-in-law, Ita, um, uh, happy Mother's Day. My sister, um, Angela, happy Mother's Day. And my sister-in-law, Marisol. Happy Mother's Day as well. Uh, we love you. I want to read it. I want to read a a, um, a passage to you if I can before we get into the Word of God, uh, and it's related to it's related to Mother's Day. It's from Proverbs chapter thirty one, just three verses, beginning with um, verse twenty seven. Proverbs thirty one, verse twenty seven. 
It says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Mm. That is so true for women, uh, concerning our women. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Well, no, I'm going to stop right there because the other ones are not necessarily relevant. Uh, but so true. Those verses are just simply so fitting uh, to our mothers. Uh, Lord knows I can't get my wife to settle down. She's always moving around like, a, like, a, like the Energizer Bunny, always doing what needs to be done. She'll work circles around me and then some. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful to her for sure. But I'm also grateful to the rest of you. Thank you so much. And, and just think, very soon, <clears throat> Lord willing, we will have the opportunity to come back into this fellowship um, and worship together, both men, both women, and our children. Um, Lord willing, it's just simply only a matter of time. Amen? Let me invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Miss <clears throat> um, D, I need those cough drops that you offer me every Sunday. I need some right about now. <laughs> Let me invite you to prayer. Bow your heads with me. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much. It is so wonderful, Lord God, to be in your presence this morning. It is so wonderful, Lord God, to be touched by you. That's what I'm feeling right now. And I know, Lord God, that this is what you people are experiencing as well. In the midst of this pandemic and everything else, we need a touch from God. And certainly I know and I trust that we are all experiencing a touch from you this morning. Thank you so much for that, Lord God. Thank you for your tangibleness. Thank you for the fact that we, we serve a mighty God, a living God, a, a personal God, a God who reaches out, and certainly, a God who communicates with us as His children. We love you today, Lord God. We thank you for carving out this time in eternity for us to come into your presence like this. To come into one another's presence by faith, even though it's done virtually. Thank you for allowing us to come together like this, Lord. For the purpose of hearing from you. Father, this is not a network. This is not a social club. This is not a party, in a sense. This is a fellowship. We comprise your family, the kingdom of God, that you've created, that you established so long ago. That is who we are. And you are at the center of our fellowship. So this morning, Lord God, we give you praise. This morning, we exalt your holy and mighty name. And we just simply thank you, Lord God. We thank you for our mothers today and for blessing them with another day of life. We thank you for blessing us, the men and the children of this household, of this family, with our mothers. They are so, so wonderful and so needful, such, such a major resource in our lives. I personally, Lord God, do not know where I'd be what I'd be doing with myself were not for my wife or my mother and the other wonderful women you've placed in my life. Wonderful women who are part of this fellowship, who do so much 
were so responsible in caring for so many things that pertain to your house, Lord God. We thank you so much for them this morning. May you bless this time, Lord God, in your presence. May you speak to us now through your word. May you give us inspiration. May you breathe life into us today, Lord God. And I say that intentionally because sometimes, Lord God, especially during this season, it's just so easy to drift away, to fade off, to lay down uh, and just to simply dismiss the things that are are necessary for us as your children to be mindful of, to be responsible with. May you help us, Lord God, to continue this fight until the end when we may all hear those wonderful, wonderful words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. We love you, Father. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you once again, church. Thank you for tuning in. If if you are from Philadelphia or anywhere else, anywhere outside of Norwalk or anywhere outside of this particular fellowship, and you've tuned in this morning, we want to extend ourselves to you, our gratitude, our appreciation. We thank you so much. I believe there are um, quite a few of you who are not necessarily a part of our fellowship who are indeed watching at this time. We thank you so much for tuning in. Well, church, let's go into the Word of God. This is a perhaps the, th- the third, <coughs> the third and last segment of our uh, brief series from the Book of Daniel's um, chapter nine, in particular, the prophecy that was given to the prophet Daniel so long ago concerning the seventy weeks, the allotted time that God gave to His people Israel. And I'm going to emphasize that again in this lesson. It's a prophecy for sure that was given by God through the angel Gabriel to the prophet Daniel concerning the nation of Israel. A prophecy of an allotted time of 490 years to be exact. An allotted time for which the nation was scheduled to fulfill um, the goals listed in chapter 9 verse 26. You can review that. We're not going to get into that this week. We talked about that last week. Um, But there are six goals that are there. Um, And so this particular prophecy applies to the Jewish nation. As long as they are in Jerusalem, in their land, and in total control. This much I will share a little bit later. As long as they are in their land and in total control of Jerusalem then this particular prophecy would apply to them. We'll get into that a little bit later. But read with me, the text is Daniel 9. (coughs) Excuse me, uh, my coughing. Daniel 9, we are going to begin today um, in verse 24. We're going to read through verse 27. Just a couple of verses um, that we have for you today. Daniel 9, beginning with verse 24, and the Bible reads... Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy or vision and prophet, (coughs) that rendering prophet actually, believe it or not, does indeed apply, and to anoint the most holy 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven, seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, totaling sixty-nine, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and to the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant, a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Amen. We certainly thank God for the blessedness of His Word. Where would we be today as God's children without the amazing Word of God? Amen, somebody. I just, I just simply love the Word of God. I wanted to say this because... I wanted to serve this moment, generally speaking, with respect to the Word of God and how important it is for you and I as children of God to depend upon it during this time. This time, not necessarily because of this pandemic, although that applies as well. I'm referring to this current time. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not here yet. Uh, and so we are living in the moment, in this particular moment. Um, and the Bible says, while it is called now, today, we as children of God need to be taking advantage of the Word of God. We need to be taking advantage of this intimate fellowship that God has granted us in His Son. And the only way that you and I can have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father is to know Jesus first and foremost, but also to be intimately acquainted with the Word of God. Amen, somebody. I think that's extremely important. And then with respect to this particular passage and this prophecy that we're reading about this morning and that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, it's just simply important to reference this and to, and to kind of reiterate what we've, some of the things that we've mentioned already about this particular text. Uh, and it's important to do so because this prophecy is not just an ordinary prophecy about an isolated event. That's just simply not the case. This prophecy, the scope is broader than that. And its implications are extremely eternal. They are e e eternal. In fact, I may have mentioned this once before, uh, perhaps last week, this prophecy by many theologians is just simply considered uh, as perhaps the most comprehensive um, biblical prophecy that we have in the entirety of the Word of God. When you think about it, this prophecy, well, I guess this particular point applies to all prophecy because all prophecy is rooted in the first of all prophecies in the Word of God concerning Jesus Christ. And I'm alluding to that prophecy we mentioned a few times, more than a few times, uh, since I've been here in California, and that is Genesis Chapter 3, verse 15, Proto-Evangelium. So that's the, the basis of all prophecies, that Messianic prophecy, that one day the God-man, that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, 
Well, this prophecy reaches back to that particular time in the Garden of Eden, but that is not the, 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 the limit of its scope. It actually extends into the eternal future as well, certainly to the end of this age. Um, <clears throat> that's the magnitude of this particular passage. And the fact is, it encompasses all of life and all of peoples before and after its pronouncement. I just love that about the Word of God. You could take any, any, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you could take any, any means of, any measurement tool and apply it, like for example, the law of compound probabilities, which, which is perhaps the, the key law in mathematics. And you could apply it to the Word of God and it will pass the test at the end of the day. I'd like to run away with that point. Um, but it's not relevant because it just simply belabors this point that I'm making this morning concerning the importance, the general importance of the Word of God. Uh, but concerning this particular passage, let me give you the purpose. The purpose is just simply to give commentary to the two verses that we're going to spend most of our time in this morning. That's verse 26 as well as verse 27. And so what I've done... Um, with regard to this purpose is that I've divided this particular lesson into three parts. The first um, actually applies to verse chapter, verse 26, where the Messiah is killed. He is mentioned there. And I say Messiah intentionally, and we're going to get into that in the next few moments. Uh, the second part deals with verse 27, and, and it has to do with the Antichrist. Empire. We'll be talking about that in a few moments as well. And then the third part, we back up again to verse 26, where I want to talk about the interval that this particular passage presents to us that exists between verses 26a and verse 27. There is an interval, and I think you're going to find this extremely interesting when we get to that point in this particular lesson. When we, when we take the time to just simply read through the Bible, um, not just this passage, but any passage in the Word of God. For example, Matthew chapter 24. If you try to read the passage as a, as a straightforward narrative or as an as a, as a immediate list of events that are going to take place successively, you'd be surprised to find out that there are gaps, that there are huge lengths of time that exists between verses and even within a verse itself. And then Christ goes back and forth in Matthew 24, for example, from the, the first advent, second advent, rapture, and there's a host of things, and, and it's important to understand that because otherwise we could run away with a misinterpretation of the Word of God. And that particularly applies to this text because there is indeed an interval that exists between verse 26 and 27. Anyway, <clears throat> point number one, as I stated once again, at least for my sake, I've divided this lesson into three parts and we're going to use these three parts to explain verses 26 and 27. And the first point is death of the Messiah. Death of the Messiah. Look to verse 26 with me, church. Verse 26 begins with the 
phrase or the words, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And this, of course, is the first and most important point of this particular passage. Yes, the others are extremely important, but there's nothing like this one, because this is the point which speaks about the Messiah. And of course, whenever we talk about the Messiah in the Word of God, not just this particular passage, He is, He was, and He is, and always will be the most fundamental component of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I may spend a little more time in the second point concerning the Antichrist, because there are just some, there are some verses that I'd like to share with you, but this is certainly... <coughs> Excuse me. This is certainly the most important point. And it begins with the phrase, and after 62 weeks, after 62 weeks. And this is, of course, a reference to the 434 years we spoke about last week. So the prophecy is this. Just read briefly. I'm not going to go down a rabbit trail. I'm going to avoid that today. Um, <clears throat> most of the time I know I sound like a broken record. But the prophecy has to do with a 490 year allotment of time that God gave to his people Israel concerning their reconciliation and their redemption, if we could put it that way, that at the end of the 490 years, God will indeed will redeem them. Of course, we know that from the text, he gave them this time as a as a, an allotted time for them to actually get themselves right. But what we know from the Word of God to be true concerning Israel is that in and of themselves they are incapable of fulfilling those six goals mentioned in verse 24. So at the end, they're still going to be rebellious and they will require the actual act of God, the divine act of God, Upon their lives. God is going to impose himself upon them by grace and he will save the nation. The nation, not individuals. We understand that Jews are saved today. There are many Messianic churches and Messianic Christians around the world. But this particular prophecy refers to the nation of Israel as a whole. Again, the reason why I mentioned the Messiah, the phrase the Messiah and how important it is is because not all Bible versions agree with this phrase, Messiah. My version reads Messiah, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, but you're, some of you are probably using a different version, or at the very least, a version that does not contain the word Messiah. And so this, this has created a, an issue in Christendom, because they're so, I'm not going to get into that because I just don't have the energy or the, or the time. But there's so many views on this particular verse, that section, that clause, the Messiah cut off. There's so many people, that some, again, so many different views. And many people actually say this is a reference to, to individuals other than the Messiah himself. But I want to move along and I want to just simply submit to you that it cannot apply to anyone other than our Jesus Christ. Because of the construction 
or the structure of the words in this particular text. For example, if if you read, look at verse 25 with me for a moment. Verse 25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Right there. Unto Messiah the Prince. Dot, dot, dot. Well, the, when you look at that in the, in the Hebrew, there is no mistake about it. The words are Mashiach Nagid. I may not necessarily be pronouncing that correctly. Mashiach Nagid. And those words come up back to back just like that. And in the English, we've, we've added a word or two, at least at the very least, the Messiah, the Prince. But it's not the case in the Hebrew language. In the, in the Hebrew, for example... You can refer to a king as being anointed, or you could even refer to a king as being a prince. But you cannot use both words in combination in reference to anyone other than Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You you just can't. In fact, you won't even I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think in all of Scripture I'm referring, at least in my mind, to some of the commentaries that I have read and the wonderful comments that, that some of these authorities have made concerning Mashiach Nagid, that you won't even find it in the Bible in combination, both words, in combination to anyone outside of Jesus Christ himself. So that phraseology is unique in this Bible and it refers to Jesus Christ himself alone. And then besides... With respect to some of the views that exist that this particular prince, as your version may read, that it refers to someone other than Jesus. Well, there are so many views um, out there that refer to someone immediately after that particular time in Babylon. Like Ezra, for example. You'd be surprised how many people refer to Ezra as this one particular prince. I know if you're a Bible study student, you know that's kind of far-fetched. But believe it or not, there are commentaries out there where people refer to Ezra as this particular prince. And there are others. It's just not the case because clearly this prophecy refers to someone in the distant future. Not our future, but their future. Because again, it says 62... Look at verse 26 again. It says 62 weeks have been allotted. And at the end of 62 weeks, or at the end of 69 weeks, because we have to add 49 and 62, at the end of 69 weeks, then the Messiah shall be cut off. That's 483 years. So it couldn't have been Ezra or anybody else during that time. Amen? Another aspect of this particular point relates to how Daniel must have felt. I may have alluded to this just a little bit last week. How Daniel must have felt sitting there or standing or on his face listening to the angel Gabriel concerning this particular prophecy. Everything is wonderful at one point, using my imagination, until the angel perhaps refers to the Messiah as being cut off. That's probably where he got a little sad because all of Israel, not in Judah, 
at this point and prior to this particular point, they were waiting for the Messiah. That's what prophecy has always alluded to. That's what they spoke about all the time. Their redemption, their redemption, their redemption. Right? And now all of a sudden the angel shows up and he's talking about their redemption. Because that's what this prophecy alludes to. So he's excited at one point perhaps. And then the next point, well wait a minute. Is our Messiah expected to die? Is it possible that there may have been... A, a, a detail that may have slipped his mind or a detail that he may not have been aware of or a detail that just simply wasn't emphasized over the course of centuries preceding this particular moment. These things may be true. I challenge you to look it up and to find it out. And I say these things because in verse, you don't have this in front of you and you don't have to go there. Just Jot it down in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 27. It uses the same two words that we find here in Daniel 9, 26. The two words are cut off. And there are so many speculations out there about what these two particular words mean. Listen, suffice to say that it means killed. Some of your versions may actually contain that. The Messiah would be cut off or the Messiah will be killed. And that is indeed what it refers to. The Messiah will be killed. And in Leviticus chapter 7 verse 27, in the, the context is there, the context in that particular passage is on the, believe it or not, on the death penalty. Where God is speaking to Moses about certain things he wanted his people to, uh, to follow. Uh, in this particular passage, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was talking about the blood in animals as well as things that are defiled. Don't touch them. Anyone who does, anyone who violates should be cut off. It's not just somebody who will be contaminated and put aside. Read the text and you see for yourself. I want to move on. It speaks to being cut off, to literally being killed and eliminated. And that is important because prophecy concerning our Messiah has always referred to the death of Christ himself. I think that's extremely important. Um, is it possible, going back to what I was sharing before, is it possible that Daniel had access to, say, the prophet Isaiah's material, the way he had access to Jeremiah's material. Look to um, Daniel 9, verse 2. Look to verse 2 of this particular chapter. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. There it is. An allusion to the book or the letter or the scroll, however you want to consider that, of the prophet Jeremiah. Is it possible that he had access to Isaiah's material as well? Because if he did, then we, they, not just he, but everybody else, would have had to clearly understand that this Messiah, in this first point that we're talking about, was expected to die. And that they should not have expected anything else. 
He wasn't going to come, for example, to establish this elaborate, pompous kingdom and then reign forever on earth um, after, say, redeeming the nation of Israel. They should have expected the death of the Messiah. Look to, if you can go there quickly, I want to go right into it. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 5. I want to read those to you. I like to read the Word of God. I don't necessarily like to fill this space or this context with substance outside of the Word of God. That's, that's just me. I love the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 5, it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he should grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of dry ground, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That was always God's planned <clears throat> concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the Messiah. He was to be born one day. He was always from eternity past. He was scheduled to die. There are hundreds of Old Testament predictions uh, which we can list right here that actually that they speak of this Messiah and that could only be applied to Jesus Christ alone, nobody else. But of course, the best part of this particular point relates to the implications of his death, because we got to move it along here, right? The implications of his death. Yes, Daniel felt some time away, some type of way concerning this this Messiah and the fact that he was going to die probably did not necessarily expect it right away. But nonetheless, that is the truth. But why did he come in the first place? Why did he come? And why does this particular passage and so many other passages concerning the Messiah allude to the fact that he would one day die? Why did he come? By faith, and I want you to use your faith imagination here for a moment, if you will. Because I don't know about you, but by faith, I can see, you know, I feel a little emotional right now. And whenever I read passages like that, I get emotional. I still am. And so I got to try to breathe and control myself, otherwise I spend the rest of my time in your presence crying. I love Jesus. How about you? And concerning Jesus and the Messiah, using my imagination, I can see him by faith, just thinking back, I can see him walking into, not walking, I'm sorry, 
I could see him riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And he's humble. Can you see him? He's humble like a lamb led to the slaughter. He is humble. He is patient. He knows what he has to do. It's been set in motion. He gave his instructions and he's moving forward with the plan of all ages. Can you see him? He's tying off loose ends. Here it is. Walking into something. I'm going to pass it to you. If you want to go ahead, look to chapter 19. We're going to be there in a few moments. <coughs> Jesus Christ has ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to read that in a few moments. Word for word. And Jesus Christ is tying off loose ends. Because he knows that this particular moment in time is or was a direct fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Not in its entirety, but the 69th week. The 483 years allotted from the beginning of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple to the culmination right there when Jesus Christ has, he has ridden into Jerusalem that ended the, the bulk of Daniel's prophecy and the allotted time. Jesus Christ has ridden into Jerusalem. And sometime later, he was scheduled to die. I want you to look, look to me, look, the, look to um, Luke 19, we're going to read 37 and 38. It says, then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I think that's extremely, extremely glorious when we think about that. Especially when you think about it, it's one thing to think about it on one level. Yes, the Messiah came. Yes, the Messiah died. But you got your thoughts have to be broader than that, because you got to think about the scope of prophecy, the scope of the Word of God that's being played out right here. Four hundred and eighty-three years, at least with respect to Daniel's prophecy, in the making. This theme was four hundred and eighty-three years. In the making. But then when you think about all of the word of God. We think it about thousands and thousands of years in the making. Right here. That's why I get emotional when I read passages like this. Because I understand the magnitude of it. You, it's irrefutable. Christendom is irrefutable. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Salvation has been granted to all of mankind. Anyone... Anywhere right now can open their hearts and minds after having heard about Jesus Christ and can say yes to Jesus, can invite Him into their lives and just like that they would be saved. It's irrefutable. Amen, somebody. Anyway, in terms of the scope of the prophecy that Jesus was fulfilling or actually fulfilled when he entered Jerusalem. I want you to go with me to Psalms 
118. Now, this is a Bible study, right? I want you to get this. I want you to understand at least the the a broader broader scope, if you will, of this particular point uh, concerning the Messiah. Uh, because it's not just one layer. There's so many layers to this thing. And, and this Luke 19 passage was a direct fulfillment of passages uttered long, long, long before. Psalms 118 verse 26 reads, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That's Psalms 118 verse 26. And those words, almost word for word, were uttered by the people when Jesus Christ had entered Jerusalem. And then Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Zechariah 9. I'm going to go just through it. Put it down on your notes. Zechariah 9 9 reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just... <clears throat> he is just... And having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9 9. And this was so many years prior, and it was predicted concerning Jesus Christ. I think that's extremely extraordinary. So when you think about <clears throat> when you think about Jesus and his in his triumphal entry. <clears throat> and the fact that the, the people there were, one moment they're exalting him, they're exalting him, and yet the reality is, we're going back to Daniel chapter 9 verse 26, the idea here is that he was scheduled to die. So no sooner they're exalting him, and they, for the most part, many of them, the text, I have to be fair, the text does say his disciples. <clears throat> His disciples shouted. But I would imagine there were many people there on that scene who one moment exalted him, but the next moment they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Because we know to be true is that just a few days hence, he was crucified. Why did he come? What could be so important? Verse 26, go back to Daniel 9, 26. Because verse 26 gives us the answer to these particular questions. And it's important to know this. It's, it's just simply major. Are you there? Daniel 9, 26. Look at the phrase, but not for himself. Not for himself. I, I, I know, especially depending on the version that you're reading, uh, these are this is a phrase or words that we can easily dismiss or just overlook as if they're insignificant but that is not the case what does it mean? it means he did not die for his own sake that's right he did not die for his own sake he died for others when Jesus Christ died again I'm not going to go into this but it was scheduled from eternity past that one day the Messiah himself would actually come. Why? For the redemption of our souls. He, he died for us. He served as the perfect substitute. Boy, I'd like to run away with this 
especially the way Paul talked about it in the book of Romans. This is justification, this is sanctification, this is redemption, this is wisdom. Put this verse down on your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. He died for our redemption. He died for our wisdom. Truth shall set you free. He died for our sanctification. He died for our justification. He died for others. And proof of this can be found across all of the pages of the Word of God. I would love to list one passage after another. We're not going to do that right now. Let's talk about the implications. Because after all, this is what's key here. At least with regard to this particular aspect of the point that we're making concerning the Messiah. Number one, He died to save our souls. He died to save our souls. He died to lay the foundation for our redemption. And secondly, with regard to this salvation, mankind, here's the implication, mankind was either going to receive Him and live as a result of doing so. How about you? I don't know about you, but I know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So this is the implication. I have received Him, and as a result, I know that today I enjoy salvation. And that tomorrow, and tomorrow, whenever that day comes, when I lay this body down, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. So the implication is that mankind is either to receive Him and live, or reject Him and spend eternity in a living hell. Those are the words from the Bible itself. Those are the implications. John chapter 3 verse 18, for example, says... He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only begotten Son of God. I think that's extraordinary. I'm going to read that again. Implications. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And number three, I would say it's quite clear, <clears throat> at least in my mind, that Jesus Christ has become the standard by whom we must live out our lives. This is another implication as to why Jesus Christ came. And this is especially so important in society today because there's so many voices vying for your attention. In mind, So many ideologies, so many traditions in this Western culture, if you will. And many people actually believe that religion is for the weak. Many people in society today actually believe that religion is not for everybody. That there are many ways we can and should live out our lives. It is such a horrible, horrible lie. And as a result of these lies, people are going to spend eternity outside of the very presence of God. So with respect to this third point, of this point concerning the Messiah, is that Christ himself has become the standard by which we are expected to live our lives. And if we choose not to do so, at the end of the day, we have to man up to the consequences, if you will. Because he has become the standard. No matter how far society pulls away from this standard, no matter how far society pulls away from biblical truth, 
concerning Jesus Christ Himself. One day everyone will be judged by Him, the Messiah. Second point, let's move along, is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Um, I believe this particular portion of scripture in Daniel 9, go back to Daniel 9, if you're not there, because we're going to be, we're going to read at this time, verse 27, verse 27, and it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. There are many, in the same way there are many who believe the Prince or the Messiah of verse 26 refers to someone other than Jesus Christ. There are so many varying views concerning this Prince of verse 27. Oh, there are so many. Listen, I'm not even going to go there. I'd love to, but I'm not even going to go there. But there are just so many views. And there are so many people who believe this applies to uh, a person other than the Antichrist himself. I'm going to show you from... I'm going to use a couple different passages to show you that this could not apply to anyone other than the... Uh, other than, I'm sorry, it's going to say Messiah. God, God have mercy. It cannot apply to anyone other than the Antichrist itself. Yes, it's true. There were those who severely, severely persecuted the Jewish nation during that particular time, um, it, it, before and during their captivity in Babylon, and shortly after their captivity in Babylon. We 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 know that, right? To be true, but nowhere near in the way mentioned in this particular verse. Meaning, yes, the nation was persecuted greatly, but this particular verse refers to a, an extreme measure of persecution. And no one prior to the Antichrist persecuted the, the, the Jewish nation like the Antichrist will in the near future. Some say the Emperor Titus was this particular prince, the Emperor Titus. And we know that he destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. But this prince does not do that. Or, or let, let me back up just a few moments. Um, again, referring to the Emperor Titus. Just, it, it dawned on me that perhaps not all of you know who this particular figure is. Um, he was the emperor that was governing the Roman Empire shortly after and perhaps during the time of Jesus Christ probably more so after the time of Jesus Christ I, I thought I had his dates I, I clearly do not the dates of his reign but I don't have them in front of me but he was the emperor who was in power shortly after Jesus Christ was crucified and just 40 years after the, the death uh, of Jesus Christ the emperor Titus actually invaded Israel, or rather invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the city, as well as destroyed the temple. And as a result of that historical truth, there are many people who say concerning verse 27, 
Daniel chapter 9, that it was the Emperor Titus. But there's a distinction here that needs to be made, because the, the, the text tells us, or history tells us, that the Emperor Titus destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. That's not what we know in the Word of God concerning the acts of the Antichrist. The Bible says that the Antichrist will desecrate the temple, not destroy it. Verse 27b, the second half of the, of the verse reads, On the wings of abominations shall one come who makes desolate. And that's what, that's what that means, what I just finished alluding to. Uh, and secondly, this text refers to someone who lives in our distant future, not theirs. Well, in a sense, theirs as well, right? But the emphasis is, is that this Antichrist or this figure, this prince spoken of in this verse, refers to someone in our distant future. So it could not uh, have applied to the Emperor Titus or anyone else before or after him and prior to this point in time. I want to share a couple of passages with you that will actually perhaps shed some light on who this figure is. Because in reality, all it takes is just a little comparison uh, of certain biblical texts that we can actually easily prove who this particular person was or is rather the emphasis is on on is who this is now let's let's look at a couple of passages together i want you to go to chapter 8 of the book of daniel chapter 8 daniel 8:13 daniel 8:13 it says then i heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled under foot. Right there. By all accounts, this is referring <coughs> to the same person. Notice the key phrase, and I quote, daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation. That ties in both chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 9, we are given the prophecy of 70 weeks, which we are living out right now, or at the interval between the 69th and the 70th week. We're going to get that in the last point today of this lesson. But we are in this allotted time, this 490 years. In chapter 8, it speaks of a vision that the prophet Daniel received also concerning this figure of Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist. It speaks of the same person. I want to share another passage with you. Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus, he places the Antichrist in the same setting, <clears throat> in the same setting as Daniel did, both in chapter 8 and both in chapter 9. And by the way, he's also spoken of in 
Daniel chapter 7 as well. And so many other prophets spoke about this same individual. And the connection could ease. I could spend all afternoon sharing verses from the Word of God from the Old Testament alone. Using the same phraseology of verse 27, Daniel 9. Referring to the same individual, but we won't. Right now I'm going to read two verses from Matthew 14. Because Jesus Christ refers to the same figure. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolations. There's that phraseology again. It's not a mistake. Therefore, when you see the desolation, the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. <clears throat> standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea. Flee to the mountains. And notice that Jesus speaks of the Antichrist in a future tense. And then of course what I said a few moments ago. Notice the phraseology that is used there. Daily sacrifices. Or rather abomination of desolations. Is actually alluded or mentioned right there in that particular passage as well. Daniel does it in... Chapter 7, I believe is verse 25 and 26. I could be wrong. And, and Ezekiel does it. Jeremiah does it. In, um, I don't have it in front of me. But Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. Uh, and a number of other passages as well. Link this same figure, the Antichrist. The point number 3, another particular passage... Not point number three in our lesson, but the another aspect in confirming this Antichrist is found in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Go there if you want. Second Thessalonians chapter two, because you, you need to see this. And again, just to reiterate the important the importance of it is that there are so many views on this second prince of Daniel nine. And we need to know that it speaks only of the Antichrist. No one else. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, let no one deceive you by any means. Boom, as Tim would say. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. That's a phrase referring to the Antichrist. It's never been used of, of anyone else. The son of perdition, that right there, is a reference to the Antichrist as well. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Showing himself that he is God. So when we read, when we read Daniel 9, 27 concerning the desolation of the temple, not the destruction of the temple, it makes a connection with what Paul was saying in this particular passage in Thessalonians as well. Because the Antichrist, he, he exalts himself, he he declares himself to be God. He walks into the temple itself. And um, he declares himself to be God. He demands worship. 
An idol or idols are erected in the temple as well as all over Jerusalem. And he demands the world and Israel, Jerusalem, to worship these idols or to worship him as well. And that is what is intended by prophecy when it talks about desolations. It's not a reference to destruction. It's a reference to compromise, to defilement. He defiles the temple with idolatry when he demands worship. The son of perdition is a reference to the Antichrist. A title always referred to him. And secondly, notice the last portion of verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians. It's the act of desecration by the Antichrist mentioned by Daniel. And there are so many other passages that we can actually uh, that we can refer to, that we can consider here to validate this point concerning the Antichrist. Suffice to say that Daniel 9, 26 and 27 refer to not all Daniel 9, 26, the latter half of verse 26 and all of verse 27 refer to the Antichrist. So point one, we talked about the Messiah. And that is that it was and is and always will be a reference to Jesus Christ the Messiah and his death on the cross for your sins and mine. And the second point has been about the Antichrist, verse 27. Now to our third and final point concerning nine concerning this prophecy, these two verses in the book of Daniel. I want you to go back to the book of Daniel, if you're not already there. And this third point is the great interval. It's probably up on your screen. The great interval. And hopefully we were able to discern. I want you to put your thinking caps on here for a moment. Because hopefully, while I was talking about the Messiah of Daniel 9.26. Stay with me here. Stop what you're doing. This is majorly, majorly, majorly important because it has not been easy for me to lay out the truth of Daniel 9. It's extremely difficult to talk about. And last week I was probably here and there and everywhere. And, and, and so I want to zero in on this third point, the interval, because if you don't get anything else, you need to understand this. Concerning Daniel 9, 26 and 27. The interval that has been created, you probably picked up on it already. We talked about the Messiah, the Messiah in verse 26. And then in verse 27, we established that it speaks of the second prince is a reference to the Antichrist. The Messiah, 2000 plus years ago. And the Antichrist, he hasn't appeared yet. He is a figure, a character that shows up in our future, not so distant future. So naturally, when you think about it, and logically, we have an interval between the 69th week, which Jesus fulfilled in the 490 year prophecy of Daniel, and the 70th week, which the Antichrist actually fulfills, 
because he reigns on earth in the future for one week. We didn't go into that because it just it's just so, so much material there that I have to talk about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, amillennialism, mid-millennialism, post-millennialism, all of those things. And maybe one day we can set aside a message for that, right? But for this segment, the interval has been created because there's a span of time existing between the 69th week of Daniel, verse 26, and the 70th week of Daniel, verse 27. That span of time, what transpired in history during that particular time? What it tells us is that God's prophetic time clock stopped because the prophecy requires Israel to be in their land as well as in complete control of it. We know that the Jews are in their land today, right? It's important to say this. The Jews are in their land today. And yes, they are a nation once again ever since... I don't know, April 14th, I think, 1948. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. April 14th, 1948. Uh, But they are not, I don't know if you knew this, but they are not in complete control of Jerusalem. The eastern part, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is controlled by the Muslims. They have the Dome of the Rock right there on Mount Moriah, That's what scripture refers to, where one day a future temple will be built upon. Right now there's a Muslim worship temple sitting on that space. And even though the law of Israel governs operations on that space, it is the Muslims who exercise free religious, free uh, expression of religion on that particular section of that of, of that city. One day in the future, according to the word of God, they will gain complete control of Jerusalem. A temple will be built, and then shortly there, during that time, is when my mind is running. It's like I want to get into that rapture theology, but I, I, I got to refrain because that's not in the text here, right? But it's during that time when the Antichrist is going to show up. And the final seventh, the final seven years or the final week of Daniel's prophecy will play out. But let's get back to this. Um, so the, the, the idea here concerning the prophecy is that the Messiah is showing up and being cut off. And the rebellion of the children of, of God, the, the, of Judah, the, the nation of Israel, because of their rebellion, they were actually removed from the city, removed from the land. And as a result of that, because the prophecy applies to their being in the land, God's prophetic time clock stopped. And an interval was inserted between the 69th week and the 70, 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. What transpired during that particular time? Here's what happened. Jesus Christ established a kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus Christ, during this time, this interval, 
where we live, you and I currently, he has established a kingdom also known as the body of Christ, also known as the church. And that is what has been in existence for the last two millennium, where we enjoy this wonderful salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it does not mean that Jews do not have the opportunity to be be saved. Because there are, again, we said it already, there are many Christian Jews on the world, in, in the world today. So they have the opportunity. It's just the reference to the nation of Israel and that prophecy, that's going to begin again sometime in the future. Uh, But for now, we have this wonderful, the wonderful establishment of the kingdom of God. And it all started long ago with a few simple words. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, don't go there, but put it down on your notes. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is at hand. So I want you to think and use your imagination and and think back to everything you know concerning the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus Christ. The Messiah shows up on the scene and immediately attention is drawn to him, not so much as the Messiah, at least not publicly, but as the Son of God. His disciples knew who he was, and many others outside of his inner circle. They knew who he was. And almost immediately, at least when he began his public ministry, he was referred to as the the Son of God by so many people. And Matthew 3, 2 says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then another few words in John chapter 1 Verse 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was during that time, I got one more at least, or two more, one, two more for you, three more actually for you. But it was during that time, because here's the point, we're talking about this wonderful interval. Jesus established the kingdom of God. That's what we have in existence today. And it's a wonderful season. And, 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 and we, see it, we see it unfolding in these wonderful verses that we are alluding to. Here's another one for you. In John chapter 1 verse 30. John chapter 1 verse 43. Verse 43. Where Jesus Christ was referring to. He was addressing his, his disciple Philip. Or his future disciple Philip. And he just says simply two words. Two words. He says... Follow me. That's it. That's all he says to him. Of course, he has a, a, a conversation with him thereafter. But he opens up. He addresses him with those words. Follow me. Now, remember, we're talking about the kingdom of God. That has been established during this interval. This postponement of Daniel's prophecy. The kingdom of God. The church. And it began with these words. Jesus is on the scene. He laid out. The foundation um, for our salvation. And in Him, the world today can indeed be saved today. In Him. He died in our place. 
And today he says to you and I, just like he said to Philip long ago, and it's the same address he makes to the billions of people who exist, who exist on the planet today. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. Thousands of years in the making from Genesis 3.15 to this very moment in this particular passage, John 1.43, where he says to Philip, follow me. This is the emphasis that exists on the world stage today. And this is the emphasis of this last point, the great interval. Because this is the emphasis we have to make regarding the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be some watching here who do not know Jesus Christ personally. There may be some watching me who are not necessarily as stable as you know you should be in the things that pertain to, to the gospel, in the things that pertain to your faith in Jesus Christ himself. And what is this emphasis? The emphasis that Jesus said to you when you got saved, or Jesus says to you if you don't know him, he says, follow me. Why? Because he has established a kingdom. He has established a faith family. That's, that's the point here. And he's inviting as many people from this world as possible to come into the fold. He has cast his net, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he is inviting as many people as will come, as would take heed to come into the fold and to say, Here am I, Lord God. How can I be saved? This is the emphasis that exists on the world stage today. Here's another verse for you. From John chapter 3 verse 7. Write that down. Because this is the proclamation that Jesus Christ went on to declare as his, his public ministry unfolded. He said simply, you must be born again. You must be born again. Why? It's because there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way that our eternal security can actually be secured. His name is Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Remember what I said earlier in the message? Where Christ, in the first point, I talked about how He has become the standard by whom? The standard by whom... We must be saved, or actually what I said earlier was, the standard by whom we are to live out our lives. There's one standard, and one standard only, and His name is Jesus. The world would have us believe that there are many standards. And if you're listening to Oprah, she would have you believe that there are thousands of ways for us to get to heaven. There are thousands of ways. That is wickedness. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not true. Dismiss it. Denounce it. Because it will not get you anywhere good. There's only one standard. His name is Jesus. And John 3, 7 says you must be born again. We, we got to know Him. And then the Bible, he, he went on to say in Matthew 4, 4. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. There it is. There's the emphasis again. During this great interval between the 69th week of Daniel and the 70th week, the kingdom of God has been established. The word of God has gone forth. Salvation has been granted to the Gentile nations as well as the Jews as well. Salvation has been granted to everybody who will come and take heed. But the standard is the word of God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth, mouth of God. And finally John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. What a way to end that particular point. The great interval. That's the standard. That is the message. That is the implication. During this season. You and I live in. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. We need to know him. We need to receive him. We either receive him. And experience life. Or we reject him. And ultimately one day experience damnation. In closing, I want to ask you to keep in mind that this particular prophecy relates to the Jewish nation. The prophecy we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in Daniel chapter 9. It relates to the Jewish nation. And it's clear they have been through a lot. And it's also clear that there's no end in sight. At least not for now. They've been persecuted so many times. They were persecuted by the Babylonians. They were persecuted by the Greeks. They were persecuted by the Romans after that. They were persecuted by the uh, Crusaders, if I remember my history. They were, of course, persecuted by the Muslims. They were persecuted when, in 1948 when they gained... Um, their land once again in 1967 I think that was uh, the war the six day war 1967 I believe it was the Yom Kippur war of 1973 the Antifadas of Yasser Arafat and they've been persecuted ever since then and it's going to continue on and that's what the passage refers to by the way I don't have the verse in front of me but I think that the latter part of verse 26 what I just finished stating applies to the latter half of verse 26. The, the persecutions and everything that, they, that, that has been and will continue to transpire um, um, with regard to the Jewish nation. It's going to continue. But one day, let it be known clearly that one day, according to the word of God, God will mightily move upon their lives... He would destroy the Antichrist. He would destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist. He will usher in an era of peace. He will certainly redeem the nation of Israel. He will fulfill his promise to Abraham. He will fulfill his promise to David. And one day a king will sit on, the, on David's throne. His name is Jesus Christ. 
in what happened for eternity after that. And God will, again, as I stated, fulfill His promise to His nation Israel. Amen. It's important to make that, that, that point there, at least in the end. Our King is coming. Amen, church. Again, I thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope I wasn't too long for you this morning. Those were important things that we had to state there today. We talked about the Messiah today. Uh, verse 26, Daniel 9. We talked about the Antichrist. Uh, verse 27, Daniel 9. And we talked about the interval that exists between the 69th and the 70th week. It's a complicated passage to teach. It was certainly a complicated passage for me to unfold in my mind and to create some sort of working model or working outline for myself. It was extremely hard. I've pulled my hair out, but I've hope, I hope you've enjoyed it. Again, happy Mother's Day to our mothers. Um, I will be visiting, Tim, are we? Yes, I will be visiting some of you. Some of you have already received uh, a little care package on behalf of the church. Uh, to our mothers and those of you mothers who have not, I'm going to get in the car uh, in the next few moments. Uh, hopefully, Chewy, you're watching. Hopefully, hopefully, Chewy will join me, and we're going to give out some uh, a, a small token of our appreciation to you mothers who have yet to receive one from us. We we got a lot. I'll be visiting you this afternoon. I, I wear listen. I wear my mask if I have to. I wear my gloves if I have to. I'll drop it off on your doorstep. And I'll just simply take off, but that'll happen in the next couple hours, okay? Church family, I love you. God bless you. Be encouraged today. Know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Know that Jesus Christ is coming soon until we see each other once again. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.